Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Extra. Hello and welcome to another, well, I'm not quite sure what this is, whether it's an Arscast Extra. I think it is. We had people who said it should be called the half ca- the half cast, the half Arscast, mm. the Arscast Extract. But, you know, given what happened last night, James, I think it would be remiss of me not to wish you a goodly morning. I'm now a robot. Sorry. That was a thing of beauty. Yes, goodly morning to you too. Uh, Is this the goodliest draw of all time? It could well be, couldn't it? I'm actually Mm. very tempted to do the rest of the podcast. As a robot, just to see what people would think. (laughs) But no, I think it might well be the goodliest draw that I've experienced in a a long time. And I have to say, I, I, I haven't felt as excited about getting up at six o'clock in the morning and writing a blog about Arsenal for ages and ages. Mm -hmm. And I know we beat Manchester United a couple of weeks ago, but there was something about what happened last night and the way that it happened that was just maybe a little bit special. Uh, maybe we're maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but to me it feels that way anyway. Because you know we drew a game against Sheffield United the other day, and we were all very disappointed and frustrated. We drew a game last night. It just shows you the context in which stuff happens is so important, isn't it? For for how you feel about a game of football. Yeah, I, I think maybe part of the reason it felt so good is. I, at one point in the game in the first half, was absolutely ready to consign this match to history. You know, I, I think it tells you something about what my experiences have been mm. as an Arsenal fan down the years, that when we went a goal and a man down, as far as I was concerned, the jig was up. It was game yeah. over. Yeah. I was ready to sort of almost you know, switch off from the match. And the fact that we rescued anything from it feels like such progress from how we would usually collapse in those scenarios. Um, and, and also... Part of the reason that I was so thrilled by it is because it it was quite funny too. There was a funny side to it in terms of Chelsea, you know, having the extra man and mm. not being able to make it count, and us, you know, plundering a couple of goals on the counter attack. It, it was just, yeah, it was a thoroughly, thoroughly satisfying evening's work, and I came out of it like you, excited to talk about it, excited to write about it, and also feeling this weird feeling of like, oh, I. 
I like I like some of these players. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know, in adversity, we've we've been a team that has struggled in the not too distant past, haven't we? You know, we've mm. we've found it difficult when the chips are down or things go against us. We tend to, as we've said on uh, the show in the past, we tend to crumble a bit. Um, that wasn't the case last night, and I think that's a step forward. You're right to point out, you know, from a Chelsea point of view, the uh, the hilarity that that comes at it oh. from our point of view, because you know they're 26 minutes into a game, the opposition go down to 10 men. They're not necessarily famed for their resilience and their uh, their ability to cope with difficult situations. You fully would have expected as a Chelsea fan to turn the screw, to win the game pretty comfortably, and to twice be pegged back by this sort of ragtag bunch of players and youngsters and people playing out of position and and everything else, that must be a head wrecker for them, which of course is gloriously funny and amusing to us. Yeah, I mean, we had two shots in the game and we scored two goals. Clinical, Uh, clinical. very clinical. That's the the good thing about that. I don't wish to put a downer on it. On it, you know. I think even before we went down to ten men, it's not like we were uh, playing particularly well, but we showed loads of character and loads mm. of resilience, and I think that's why so many Arsenal fans were engaged by it and enjoyed it. Yes, I think that's I think that's very true. So look, let's uh, let's go at it from the start. I mean, the team selection, the only change from the the game against. Um, Sheffield United was Hector Bellerin coming back into Mm. the team, which I guess might have raised a couple of eyebrows in the sense that, you know, he has been out for a little while. He's uh, struggled with injury uh, since picking up that cruciate thing. He's had a hamstring problem. Ainsley Maitland-Niles has done well in his absence. And you might think that that Chelsea away is a tricky game to bring a guy back into, you know, considering the physical demands that would be placed upon him. But, Mm. um, you know, in the end, it worked out very well. But anything else from the team selection that that stood out for you? Um, Not really. I mean, obviously, of course, Socrates wasn't back. mm. So we still had a slightly worrying central defensive partnership. With Bellerin, it did surprise me a little bit that he came straight back in and you know sometimes at half time in a game or a point during a game you you sort of compose a tweet and then think I'm not mm. going to I'm not going to tweet that actually yeah. and I had composed a tweet at about half time where because I'd seen Be- Willian absolutely fly past Bellerin on a couple of occasions and thought oh I'm not sure I wonder if this might be a bit soon for him yeah. I'm obviously very glad I didn't say that now given how things turned out but you know it's clear he still has a little bit of a way to go to be what we hope from him, I think. You know? Yeah, but this would have been a big step forward for him because there were concerns, you know, when he came back and he didn't look quite himself. He didn't look quite mm-hmm. as dynamic. I think last night we saw a guy who is much fitter, much stronger. You know, the time off, he's probably done a bit more rehab work. You know, he he did 90 minutes. He looked a bit gassed towards the end, but then that's true of most of the players, given that they played 90 minutes or, well, you know, at least an hour, over an hour anyway, with with 10 men. So I thought he came through that very well. And, uh, you know, I think just as a performance, when you're coming back from an injury, I think you need uh, a game like that. And, of course, he had a very tangible contribution towards the end, which we'll talk about in a bit. But in the early stages, I think um, two things stood out for me. One was that Chelsea pressed us very high and made it difficult for us to to get the ball out, mm-hmm. get the ball into midfield, which we really struggled to do. And um, I, I think about 15 minutes into the game, I just sent a little message to Andrew Allen saying, I'm a bit worried about David Luiz 
because it just looked to me like the occasion was, um, if not quite getting to him, he was feeling it because, you know, everyone says he's a very emotional guy. He's going back to his former club. He's getting booed every time he touches the ball. You could see that he really wanted to make an impact. There were some, you know, long balls that he was spraying around, which never got anywhere near an Arsenal man. And Mm. just the sort of composure that he showed over the last number of weeks wasn't quite there. And it just felt to me a little bit like, you know, this... um, the scenario, the, the the circumstances of this game were a little bit on top of him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think you're, you're a bang on to say that's to do with the opponent, you know, the setting, the response he was getting from the crowd. Uh, and maybe he wasn't as assured as he has been. Now, granted, he was in no way helped by his central defensive partner and and Chelsea as good as their pressing was uh, Ian Wright on the coverage I was watching pointed out at half time how you know they would press Louise really intensely and make sure he couldn't play the ball but when it came to Mustafi they were willing to stand off a little bit and sort of see what he did and a couple of times he did fire the ball into a Chelsea player or Mm. you know play it into space so it was quite a, a concerted, coordinated press and one that we struggled really with. Um, we couldn't quite escape. A bit like the early period at, against Sheffield United. Obviously, what happened with Mustafi, though, to, to give them the lead was, uh, I mean, mm. pretty... I, yeah. I mean, I am. I think I have run out of words, I think. I don't know what more there is to say. I don't know how many more times... You know, I'm not here to, you know, absolutely crucify the guy today or anything like it I just don't see the point anymore because I don't know how much more evidence we need that he should be playing football for a different football club you know and and the club knew that the club knew that in the summer they were trying to get rid of him we understand there are difficulties in making transfers happen particularly if a player doesn't want to go or doesn't want to go to one of the options that are available to him but you know in terms of squad building in terms of depth at central uh, in, in the centre of our defence you know, we made a mistake by keeping him and making uh, Mustafi somebody who we've had to become reliant on, as can happen during a season when, you know, you pick up injuries or you, you've got two sort of centre-halves in their 30s or you've got, you know, a guy coming back from a cruciate ligament injury. I mean, it's a ridiculous mistake. It's, you know, mm. basic, it's careless, it's slack, it's, it's just typical of him and what he does and what he's done countless times in the past for Arsenal. So, uh, you know, I don't know what more there is to say about him. I mean, even the fact that he played reasonably well after that in terms of, you know, making headers, making blocks, making clearances. uh, I'm not sure he was great with the ball, but, you know, it sort of shows you what the problem is, is that, you know, he's just a guy who at any moment can shoot you in the foot. Yeah, and that doesn't absolve him really for me. I mean, fair play no. to him. You know, I guess he, you know, he recovered well from the mistake. But the thing about Mustafi is he will play okay for, you know, 89 minutes. But it's that one where he completely loses his head that can cost you a game. Yeah, and- or, or your chance of winning a game. I mean, look, we in the end of it, we came out with a 2-2 draw. And I think, I, I suspect that a lot of the tweets going around this morning, you know, people who are feeling a bit sorry for Mustafi are saying, well, you know, he did very well after the goal, would not be quite as... Uh, um, kind had we lost that game and not taken anything from it because ultimately, you know, he put us in a very, very difficult position that we did not need to be put in. I mean, I know he's kind of the golden boy at the moment, but do we have to query Mikel Arteta's decision to, to pick Mustafi? I, I guess. 
I guess. Um, I suppose the one thing we don't really know is how fit Holding is um, mm. and how ready he is for 90 minutes. I suspect he might not be quite ready for 90 minutes yet. Um, maybe Arteta needed to fully experience Mustafi being Mustafi before he understood the very essence of Mustafi. You know? Sure. Everyone thinks they can change him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I just, I, I suspect that if he had the opportunity not to pick Mustafi, he would. You know, particularly mm. given that after the first Chelsea game, he didn't pick Mustafi, not even in the squad for a couple of games, three or whatever amount of games it was. I don't yeah. think Mustafi even appeared in the squad. So I'm not sure that Arteta is blind to Mustafi's failings or potential failings. I just don't think he had any choice on the night than to pick him, holding maybe, you know, is there, if you get an injury, he can come on and do a job, but uh, maybe not ready to start. That's the only rationale I can think of. Yeah, well, uh, fair enough, really. What about, so obviously Mustafi's pass is um, mm. kind of ludicrous and self-destructive. Do you think Louise could have done anything differently? I think he probably just could have stayed on his feet and tried to block the shot. I think the, the emotion of the situation that he was placed in and uh, the emotion that he was feeling overall led him to be a bit rash. You know, it was a push. Yeah. It was a, you know, he denied a clear goal scoring opportunity. It's a red card. I know people talk about the, the double jeopardy rule or triple jeopardy rule, but it only applies if it's an accidental foul or if there's a genuine attempt to play the ball. I don't think there was on Louise's part. I don't have any arguments with the red card whatsoever. I mean, did you, did you see the, the Mustafi after he he pushes uh, Abraham over. Mustafi slides in and just clears the ball into the back of Abraham or into the back of Louis. Uh, Louise. It's just uh, an astonishing thing for him to do in those circumstances as well. So yeah. I don't. I don't have any issue with the red card. Do you? Not really. No. I mean, as I said on Twitter, the real double jeopardy is that Mustafi stayed on, but he did. He did improve from that point. I. I, I found myself watching the replay and going. Come on, Louise, just let the bloke score. In that in that position, you're better to go a goal down than a man down. But I think I think that's quite harsh, really, given how fast it's happening, given mm. you, you know the sort of panic of the moment. I'm not sure too many players would have the the sort of ability to step out of the situation and say, actually, I'm just going to let the guy stroll through. No, I don't. Um, th- I don't know that he had to let him stroll through. I think he could have maybe try to make a block or maybe put some faith in his goalkeeper to try to make a save. You know, yeah, I just don't think he had... was quite weird as well, I, I felt. I mean, I think the goalkeeper actually does do that. So he comes out of his goal and then sort of pulls out of the challenge, mm. um, as I recall it, because I think he has an awareness of, I'll probably go off if I bring him down yeah. here. Uh, so, yeah, maybe... Mm. I mean, I guess Louise in the circumstances, what do we know about him? In the same way that we know about Mustafi... You know, he's got these ricks in him and he's going to mess up. We know about Louise, maybe he's not got the coolest head and uh, that is kind of who he is. And unfortunately, we saw that with the sending mm. off. Isn't there a strange sort of symmetry uh, between this game and the previous game against Chelsea in that we were on top until they made a substitution. I think they brought Jorginho on uh, at the Emirates and yeah, that, that tactical change had a big impact on the rest of the game. I don't think you know Chelsea were as dominant uh, as people might like to think, but certainly it, it brought them back into the game. Here we are half an hour, 26, 26 minutes, you know, half an hour into, into this game and us going down to 10 men 
had a similar kind of effect on our performance because I felt we were better after we went down to 10 men. I think there was more organization and we had to be more compact. We had to, we had to up our concentration levels mm. and Chelsea were never able to, to get on top of, of the situation. In some ways it reminded me of, uh, you know, what happened a few times when we, um, under Unai Emery faced 10 men and were similarly, uh, troubled in trying to take advantage of that, 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 that extra man. Yeah, it was really interesting and we just seemed to have a slightly more, well, I don't know, conservative shape, but one that Chelsea really found difficult to break down. And in the first 20 minutes or so, you know, I, I felt again that Lucas Torreira had looked a little bit isolated in the middle of the park and, and when we compressed that wasn't so much the case. We still had players who could spring and break in Martinelli and Pepe and Saka. And yeah, it, it did change the match. And I think really what changed the match as well was that at one stage, quite soon after sending off, Rob Holding w was ready to come on. Mm. And by all accounts, the number that was on the board was Gabriel Martinelli's to come off. And I think that would have been a really odd call anyway, to be if, honest. If, if at that point you were thinking about making the change, which is, you know... I think most managers would probably make a change there in that they would put a recognised central defender mm. on. If you had had to take somebody off at that point, who would it have been? Meza Ozil. Yeah, me too. I, I, when when they said Martinelli's about to come off, I was thinking about it from Arteta's perspective and I was like, is he keeping Ozil on because he can keep the ball and he's thinking the least tiring thing for us is to keep the ball. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I can kind of see that argument, but Martinelli, I, I, even Pepe would have been off for me before Martinelli, just because the sheer work rate of the player, I mean, as those numbers at the end of the game showed, the extraordinary amount of sprints, I mean, almost double the amount of any Arsenal, other Arsenal player, the amount of sprints he produced in the game. It, I think that would have been a weird change, and thank goodness yeah. he didn't make it. And the reason he didn't make it, actually, is because we started to look more settled on the pitch. Uh, we, we just got into the game. We were ragged for a couple of minutes after the red card, and then we put Granite Xhaka back in at centre-half, and suddenly we looked a little bit steadier. Yeah. And it, I, I thought, OK, maybe he'll wait till half-time, but we just sort of slightly grew as a force at that Yeah, point. I think there is something going on with Arteta and his substitutions because even in the second half there was talk about well this guy's coming on or this you know he's going to make this change etc etc mm, I think he's mm. still getting to grips with that side of the game but what what I thought was interesting A was his rationale for not bringing Holding on was because he didn't want to send that message to the team which was basically right it's backs against the wall for an hour you're going to sit there you're going to get bombarded by Chelsea and we're just going to soak up as much pressure as we can Right, mm -hmm. and probably that would have been the wrong move in terms of uh, in terms of how the game would have gone. I think that's probably what Chelsea would have liked. But the other the other side of that is that he was able to look at what was happening on the pitch and recognize the fact that even with Shaka, who's a central midfielder playing at cent at center half, we did start to look more comfortable. We looked more. Um, we look more front-footed even. I, d I don't quite know how to explain it, but but there was a sort of structure there that we settled into and felt more comfortable with than we did with, with 11 men. We're going to talk a little bit more about Xhaka uh, in the second part of the show, but but I thought that was an interesting thing to see from Arteta, this, this um, you know, even if he is 
finding his way and trying to figure out how to make effective substitutions and when to make them, you know, being able to spot what's going on on the pitch is, uh, you know, that, that something positive is happening and you don't need to make the change. I think that's a good thing too. Yeah, and I think the hallmark of Arteta's Arsenal thus far has been that they've wanted to dominate possession. They've wanted to dominate the ball. You go down to 10 men and suddenly that's not really possible. I mean, Chelsea had about 60% possession on the night. Um, and, you know, you're, you're forced to play in a different way. And actually, Arsenal counterattacked really quite effectively mm. against Chelsea. It was kind of the sort of thing that Unai Emery tried to get us doing for quite a long time, but it just felt like his sides never really had the, the compactness, the organisation to make that work. Uh, but we did make it work at Stamford yeah. Bridge. And and that was really encouraging. But yeah, I, I think I think it's the, the response of the players that was most pleasing. You know, we're so used to seeing them sort of throw in the towel or... or Crumble. How often have we talked about the, the crumbliness of Arsenal? Mm. And and they weren't like that. They were resilient, and you know they they looked like they believed they could get something, and that makes an enormous difference. I think. Yes, I think you're right, and I think the the attitude and the character and the spirit within the team was evident. You know, r- right until the final whistle, and um, we'll talk about a couple of little incidents now. Obviously, they scored the penalty. We went in at halftime, a goal down. You would imagine that Arteta is, you know, I, I would say relatively pleased with the response that he got from his players after the red card. So it's, yeah. a, it's a case of like, let's have a bit more of the same or, you know, a bit more from, from some of you. But Lampard must have torn into his players uh, and looked for them to do more and look for them to, to take advantage of their, their extra man. And the fact that we um, we were able to cope just as well, I think, in, in the second period. There was pressure, of course, there's pressure when you're facing a team at home and they've got a, an extra man. But, you know, it didn't feel uh, like we were absolutely punch drunk and being pulled from pillar to post or anything like it. He took Mesut Ozil off after 10 minutes. Um, I think that was perhaps doing him a kindness rather than taking him off at halftime. Yeah, I mean, it must have been in his mind to, to make a change. And Gunduzi came on for Ozil, and I thought uh, Gunduzi had a really good impact in the game. You know, I thought he really, really helped us in that regard. He was, he made a lot of important tackles and some important fouls too. And Ozil, I mean, just hadn't really been in the match full stop. Mm. I think even when we had eleven men, and once we went down to ten, it got even harder for him. So, uh, it would be fair to say that the Arsenal goal was um, a bolt from the blue, if you like. A bolt Mm. from the red into the hearts of the blue, whatever you want to call it. Um, They had a corner. Mustafi headed it away. And what Gabriel Martinelli did next is, I think it's... Um, it's obviously exciting. It's it's wonderful to watch a guy going the full length of the pitch. There was perhaps an element of good fortune in that, you know, he took a heavy touch um, and Kante slipped at just the right moment for him to go by him. But yeah. the, the, the control he has on the ball, it's never more, it's never out of his control. He's moving at top speed. He's got defenders chasing him down. He's 18 years of age. He's playing away from home in a big London derby at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. And you could you could understand why something might go wrong in those circumstances. But every part of what he did, 
particularly after he went past Kante, was was perfect. The control, mm. the touch, the pace, the finish. A, a, a genuinely an astonishing goal to witness. And I think it's the sort of goal that will well and truly catapult him into the, the reckoning or into the into the awareness of many football fans. We know him as Arsenal fans because we've watched him, but, you know, who else out there is really watching Arsenal in the EFL Cup and the Europa League? You know, when you yeah. do it on that stage, you announce yourself. And I think he did that last night. Yeah, and it's easy to say after the fact, but I had a feeling going into the game he might produce something special just because when he does start, he invariably does score I mean he's been so effective in front of goal and this is about as big a game as he's played for us and he really did that well I mean if he'd run just from the halfway line so if he'd just taken the ball off Kante say on the halfway line and sprinted half the length of the pitch and finished we'd be talking about that as an incredibly composed well taken goal and Mm. to a degree spectacular given the sprinting involved I don't remember too many goals where players run from quite as deep as he does. I mean, it's he breaks out of the edge of his own penalty area. And it, to travel that distance, to keep your cool over that distance, to maintain the speed, the control, the composure, it is absolutely astonishing, really. And I actually have a recollection, and someone doubtless will remember and, and let us know, but I think in his first appearance for Arsenal in pre-season, there was a moment like that where he, he won the ball in his own half, sprinted away from the whole team, and I think he didn't finish it, actually. I think he just put it wide. Yeah. Um, but I, anyway, I have a recollection of seeing that and being like, wow, this guy's got this explosive power and speed. And to see that, Produced at the highest level in the Premier League in a big game away mm. from home and the finish on the top, I really was uh, blown away by it. To mm. be honest with you, and and and, and <laughs> the assist from Mustafi was uh, a very slightly <laughs> funny I, icing on the cake. I think that's a very generous, um, a very very generous description <laughs> of an assist. You know, credit for the yeah. header it was a good header and he got it away, but it is funny how you know it might be viewed as an assist. I think you're right. There was a game in Denver where where he mm. did something like that, and I remember uh, very vividly at the game in Charlotte against Fiorentina, there was a similar kind of situation, not quite the same length of run or what have you, but he drove through on goal um, with just the keeper to beat and he put it wide. So obviously mm. in, in the few months that he's been here, there's been some work done on his composure and his finishing and, and everything else. And, you know, uh, this guy is not so much knocking on the manager's door when it comes to first-team football as fucking kicking it off its hinges. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, he's in the team now because Aubameyang is out, but when Aubameyang comes back, I don't think he should be the one to make way. I mean, I think we have to we have to be realistic and we have to understand that there will probably be some fluctuations in his form and his performance levels. But right now, he's not the guy who goes out of the team when Aubameyang comes back. I think if he's playing like he did last night, no, I don't think you can drop him. And I I think you're right. We probably need to measure our expectations and accept that at that age, most players, I I accept that Martinelli is clearly not most players, but most players do have fluctuations in form and will have peaks and troughs, but he's not in one of those troughs at the moment. He, Mm. he's flying, he's scoring goals. He looks so happy out there. He looks... I mean, talk about composure. What about that celebration? I mean, <laughs> that's about as composed you, as, you, as ha, you get. Have you seen the the tweet, actually? If you look at uh, the timeline uh, of West End Tone, basically, right. someone in the crowd does the foldy arms thing 
and Martinelli sees it and, and does it reacts to it and does it back to him, which is great. So if you look at West Antone's timeline, right. I think there's a reply from someone who's got pictures of it in there. Uh, the reply is oh, from yeah, okay. uh, at AP underscore underscore 76, Andy P. And he's got some pictures of it all going down. So that's quite, that's quite a nice little aside to that goal. Yeah, that is really nice. And I guess, you know, that sort of synchronicity between fans and supporters is what we've really mm. missed. And it's something Arteta's talked about, wanting to emphasise that connection. And that's a good example of it coming back. Nice of N'Golo Kante as well to honour the, the time-honoured <laughs> tradition of Chelsea players falling over to allow us to score. Yes, thank you very much indeed. Shades of uh, John Terry there uh, against Van Persie. Do you know what? I, I watched, I think, was it Amy who posted the highlights of, Amy Lawrence posted yeah. the highlights of that 5-3 game. I'd forgotten how incredible that game was. Not just the fact that it was 5-3, but all the other chances and stuff that were missed and things that went down in that game. Uh, incredible. Um, so check out Amy's timeline for you know a rewatch of that. It's, it's well worth it. So look, Chelsea get a goal uh, late on. And at that stage, I thought, well, this is going to go down as like a plucky Arsenal performance. Yeah. We can take the positives from it. I mean, uh, look, I, I don't want to hammer the guy again, but I, Mustafi's got to take Abraham down inside the Chelsea half. Just block him off, take the foul, get organised, take your yellow card and get back into position. Um, you know, we, mm. we talked about this in the first Chelsea game as well, where he just doesn't have that um, understanding of danger or just doesn't doesn't want to be that player. I don't know what it is. I mean, if that was me, I'd just, I'd take him out. I'd rugby tackle him, whatever it was. You yeah, know, he just, doesn't have, he, he doesn't have a nose for it. He no. just doesn't see it coming, and uh, which is strange because we can all see it coming <laughs> a mile off. Um, and I guess on the equaliser, you might have to say that Granite Shaka, who had a very good game, he's not used to being the last line defence, and potentially that affects the offside trap. Um, but yeah, it was one of those where I was like, ah, oh, shit. Mm, like, I know. you know. It, at that point, one all would have felt like a real victory and mm. uh, you just sort of are deflated because with 10 men to come back into it with so little time left in the game, yeah. you've had one shot until whatever it is, you know, the 85th minute and you think, well, it's not going to happen, is it? No, it's not. That's what you think. But That's of course, you think. you're wrong because I it, know. it did happen. And <laughs> I thought it was quite interesting this, the whole dynamic of their their second goal, I thought Abraham potentially was interfering with play when he came back mm -hmm. onto the field, was certainly offside when the ball was being played in. I thought you could make a reasonable case for him being in, in the in the eye line of, uh, of Bernd Leno, at least as the ball came in. Um, you know, maybe we switched off a little, maybe we were a little bit static defensively, but Abraham was injured. He went down. Arsenal played on as we absolutely should have done in those circumstances. I'm delighted to see that because there was a part of me waiting for one of the Arsenal players to kick the ball out of touch because Abraham was down. We've done it way too often in the past. And I hope like rule number one in Mikel Arteta's guidebook to how to be uh, an Arsenal player is when an opposition player is down injured, do not put the ball out. Let the referee stop the game. Let him do it. And I hope that's something he has drilled into them 
Um, so well, Abraham, let's be clear as well. Chelsea had the opportunity to put it. Yeah, out. they did actually. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't. So, and I think it was actually from that passage of play we we moved the ball across um, uh, Torreira, I think, to Bellerin. Weirdly, for some reason, it was uh, Abraham who was back in in the Chelsea box trying to defend. Of course, he couldn't because he could barely stand up, let alone you know jostle or jockey a man or, or move in a way which might prove. Um, difficult for for uh, Bellerin to to uh, to deal with, so he steps inside, curls a left footed shot. It's two two, and uh, wow, just I love that goal. I love that moment. I love what it meant. I love what what it meant about the team and the way they were performing, and you know the character, the spirit, whatever you want to call it. It just felt big, didn't it? And for Hector as well to come back and score that uh, equaliser. Not not the first time he's done it against Chelsea as well. Yeah, absolutely. And off his left foot as well, which uh, I don't think anybody necessarily saw coming, but just a great, a great, great, great moment. I mean, I, I can't, I I can't remember the last Arsenal goal I celebrated quite as loudly as that. Mm. Um, My wife came into the room wondering what had gone on, which, you know, (laughs) (laughs) to be honest, I, 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 she should have been able to work that out, really. I was watching football and then suddenly I was screaming. But, you know... It's either uh, something was... really good or something yeah. really bad. One or the other. That's true. Well, she had heard me screaming at Mustafi earlier, so she saw both sides of it. But, yeah, I I loved that moment and it was richly deserved. And I know that Chelsea fans will probably feel otherwise, but I couldn't care less. Mm. And Arsenal, you know, and Bellerin as well, deserved that moment given what he's been through the journey he's had and I know we've seen him before in the first team but this felt like the night that really started his comeback and I was delighted for him wearing the captain's armband to a captain's contribution Mm. you know still a few minutes at the end of the game which we had to see out and you know there Mm -hmm. were some late corners and there was you know I was sitting there they were showing the pictures of David Luiz looking at the game you know having been sent off and they were showing that on on the screen and Chelsea get a corner and then another late corner and you know I could see what he was thinking in his head it's like oh please please don't Mm. fucking please don't do this which is exactly what I was thinking in my head as well Uh, because you know you have these um, this ability to envision something which is disastrous but look we dealt with it we got a 2-2 draw it's a draw that feels like a win. It's not a win. And obviously results under Mikel Arteta are are improving incrementally, but I think in every other aspect of what we do and how we do it, you can see he's having a big, big impact on this squad and on this group of players. And, you know, as I said in the blog today, I think if we keep going on this sort of trajectory, if we keep plugging away and keep playing the way we're playing, I think the results will catch up. Yeah, and this is the right way round really. Uh, and, you know, that we're not getting all the points that we would like. I think there is a question over the degree to which that matters at this stage. I think what matters more is progress. And clearly, there are signs of progress. And, you know, Martinelli's performance was outstanding. That moment was outstanding. But he wasn't alone. And there were a lot of mm. young players in this team who really impressed me and older players who perhaps I'd written off who impressed me too. So mm. it was just a... 
a, a really great evening and continues that feeling of me being excited for every coming Arsenal game. Yeah. OK, well, look, this is a, um, a sort of uh, Arsecast extra. We are going to take a break, but we're not going to take your questions because there are time constraints on us this morning and we're doing our best to get a, a podcast out for you, um, a sort of ad hoc podcast, which we don't normally do on a Wednesday. But obviously this game demands something for you guys to listen to. So we are going to take a short little break here. We're going to come back with some more discussion on some of the individuals and the overall performance, what it might mean right after this. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to this Arsecast Halfcast. I can't say Halfcast. Cast Halfcast. Arsecast mm. Extract, whatever it might be. It's difficult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we have talked a lot about uh, Gabriel Martinelli in part one and how excited we are about him and what he might bring. But I think there are a couple of other players who deserve some discussion and deserve um, some attention from last night. And I think Granit Xhaka is certainly one of them. We, we look at the young players, James, and we look at what Mikel Arteta might bring to the squad in terms of, you know, bringing them through, giving them chances, giving them opportunities and belief. And we've seen, you know, uh, some of them uh, really uh, embrace what Arteta is bringing to the team. But I think when you look at the overall circumstances and you look at the context in which Arteta took over, the state of play, what had been going on with Granit Xhaka, what had happened, you know, uh, he, he, even in the very early weeks, seemed to want to leave the whole Hertha Berlin thing, thing was Absolutely. going on. You know, his agent was talking about it. But, uh, you know, if anyone has flourished under Mikel Arteta, it is... Granite Xhaka. Uh, he was superb last night at centre half. Absolutely superb. Not just in terms of, you know, what he did defensively, but but what he did on the ball. He was calm. He was assured. He read the game very well. There were moments I saw um, when he took charge of the centre of our defence. There was one moment in particular in the second half where Chelsea... Uh, broke down their left-hand side and Mustafi seemed the obvious candidate to go to the ball, but Xhaka took over, told Mustafi to drop back inside. 
went with the man down the side and made a good tackle to put the ball out for a throw and just to snuff the danger out and get us organised again. Uh, You know, I was so, so impressed with what he did last night. We can talk about the overall uh, situation with him, but, but in terms of his performance, how did you view that? Yeah, I was really struck by how good he was and how he looked like the senior central defender. Mm. Despite the fact he's playing with a guy who's played there his whole career, Rob Holding, you know, that's his his primary job. And yet Shaka looked like the leader of that back four. And Arteta was glowing in his praise of him after the game. And I think a few weeks ago, when he spoke very glowingly about him, there was a feeling of, is he just trying to win him round to keep him on? But last night, I think... You believed it when he said everything I tell him to do, he does it. Uh, Xhaka looks like someone who, to me, looks relieved that he is now working with a coach who understands his strengths and his weaknesses and who is able to provide him the structure and the support that means he's not quite so exposed. And, you know, I know everyone has their frustrations with Xhaka, but... Sometimes we look at players in this team and we go, well, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe their Mm. system doesn't get the best out of them. But, uh, you know, I don't think sometimes we recognise the stress that Shaka played under because he was kind of asked to do things that weren't necessarily well suited to him. And Mm. it feels a bit like we've unlocked a player slightly. Yes, it does. You know, when you consider a few weeks ago, people probably would have been okay with Shaka moving on and just taking, Mm. even just taking the hit on that. And now I think he's become an integral part of what Arteta is trying to do. You know, I'm, it's difficult because you can't ignore the things that have come before and the, the difficulties that he's had and some of the moments that he's had. I do feel in some ways um, he has perhaps and was perhaps a lightning rod for things which weren't altogether his fault. You know, like he became the guy who was representative of the worst aspects of Unai Emery's football, in a way, because he was one of the players who got exposed the most by it, um, which isn't to excuse him or to condone, you know, the, the the behavior that happened earlier in the season. We've done that to death. But we now have a guy who looks happy. He looks confident. He's performing well in midfield. He's shown us that he can play at center half. He might not like it. But I, I think, given his um, qualities, that it's a position which actually quite suits him. You know, he's yeah. not, you know, particularly in, in a team like this and in the circumstances like last night, it was never going to be a case that Arsenal were going to push up and all of a sudden we're done by a ball over the top and you've got your centre halves racing back towards goal. That doesn't happen when you're down to 10 men, but it doesn't really happen under Arteta anyway. I'm not I'm not advocating a, a shift of position here or anything like that, but what I am saying is that, you know, that, that, that role actually quite suits him because he can read the game pretty well from a deeper position without having to do it from a 360 basis. You know, he's not looking yeah. all, all over his shoulder the whole time. Exactly. It keeps everything in front of him, which is where he's happy. He's not happy on the turn. He's not happy, you know, using his peripheries and having to sort of shift out of danger. And actually, what Artis has been doing with him is almost pulling him back into that position. And I was struck last night thinking this was foreshadowed ever so slightly under Emery when... We had a, an injury crisis at fullback, and Shaka played a few games as a left back, yeah. and actually seemed to benefit from it, and looked okay 
there uh, because and and now what's Arteta doing with him is often pulling him into that left-sided defensive space where he can be a bit of a playmaker and if we're going to be without Louise for a game there is a really strong argument that the closest thing we have to Louise as a central defender is probably Shaka mm. um but you know I, I kind of think that's by the by I think the the bigger story is his kind of rehabilitation I'm not going to say he is rehabilitated I mean there was a great detail in Amy Lawrence's piece that kind of skips a lot of people's attention which is against Crystal Palace when Lacazette went off he handed Shaka the armband and there was a kind of awkward moment of Shaka sort of waving it towards Socrates like he didn't want to pop it on himself and Socrates just said put it on and he put the armband on and he Mm. wore it for the final few minutes against Palace. and I didn't notice that, actually. No, I, I, not many people uh, did, but uh, it, it, it did happen. And actually, when he went over towards the fans at the end of the game, he took it off again before he arrived at the fans. And there was this kind of... It, it's fascinating, isn't it? There's this kind of du- duality of... In that moment, the players recognised him as a leader and were like, God, quick, put the armband on, you're in charge for now. But he still has that sense of mm. penance and this idea that he knows what he did is wrong and it's not appropriate from a supporter's perspective. Yeah, a little bit of self-awareness is no bad yeah. thing either, is it? You know, um, and, and look, we're, we're a, a team and a squad which is pretty light uh, and we can all see that central midfield is an area which requires some work. Uh, and I think that work will probably happen during the summer. Um, but until then, if Arteta finds a way to get more out of Granajaka and and has him happy again and feeling confident, um, you know, I think in these circumstances, that's to be applauded. I think we should, um, not saying people have to or anything like that. They can feel how they feel about him or they can feel how they feel about what happened with him and the captaincy. Um I still think it was a fairly multi-layered, multi-faceted situation which didn't really reflect well on anybody uh, in the setup at that time. Um, but maybe we just need to put that behind us now for the sake of what's what's left this season and then see where we are in the summer. Absolutely. And I think there's quite a few things going on in the squad where it looks like certain issues have been parked you think maybe of the contract negotiations with the strikers or or certainly Shaka. Um, but that's no bad thing. We have more time. We have more room. We probably have more budget to deal with these issues in the summer. And for now, uh, Shaka has kind of done everything he could possibly have done mm. to to win people back round. And I think last night was a another big step for him in that regard. Yeah. So let's talk about Bakayo Saka. From Shaka to Saka. From Shaka to Saka. Um, I mean... Kurzer was going to be annoyed because there's there's just... I mean, I just don't really think there's a need, to be honest with you. No, I don't either. I mean, look, he's doing a great job. It's not his position. We know that. It's not doing him any harm. He's benefiting from playing um, some regular football. Uh, you know, he's learning the game in a different position, which may well benefit him if he moves forward, uh, you know, at a a later point in his career, having that experience of what a left-back requires might well be beneficial for him. I just don't see why people are looking at Saka as a problem or left-back as a place where we really, really, really need to go out and spend some money. Um, 
because Kolasinac is back in a couple of weeks, we do have Kieran Tierney. And if Saka was being pulled from pillar to post, if he was having a torrid time, if he wasn't able to cope, if he was being you know, rinsed by defenders time and time again. If he wasn't contributing in the attacking third, I would say, okay, we've got a major problem here and we do need to fix it. We don't. Mm. We don't have a major problem while he is capable of playing like this. And these aren't cup games. They're not Europa games. These are Premier League games. And I think he looks very, very capable. And I... I loved him sort of uh, battling for the ball in the corner in the final few minutes yeah. of the game. And as we talked about the other day, going shoulder to shoulder people, putting himself in the way of tackles. Uh, to take on that responsibility at that age, I mean, Arsenal's left side of Saka and Martinelli in the last two games has been one of the massive positives. And they're kids, really. They're teenagers. Uh, I, I just think he he looks like someone who could play in a lot of positions. Mm. And... I don't think that's a bad thing. Famously, that Ajax educational model involves people rotating and playing different roles and learning to understand the pitch from different perspectives. I just don't see it hurting him. And also, I don't... If he keeps developing in this fashion and becomes a great left-back, I'm not saying that is what will happen, but that's absolutely fine with me. I sense a bit of resistance from some people to that idea, but... I don't understand why for any academy player to be getting game time in the first team and succeeding in that role is a massive success. Yes. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, sometimes a door opens for a player in a position that he doesn't necessarily expect. And we sort of saw it with Ainsley Maitland-Niles over the last year, Mm. you know, where, where we didn't have anyone else to play there. And he came in and he's... All of a sudden, he's got a load of appearances, a load of minutes, a load of development, a load of experience, which, you know, even if um, he ultimately ends up somewhere else in his career, A, will be massively beneficial for him as a footballer, and B, probably really beneficial to us as a football club because we now have a player who is worth an awful lot more than some guy who's just played a couple of EFL games or EFL Cup games or a couple of Europa League games, you know? Um, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Saka, but I just don't understand, like you, the resistance to seeing this young guy come in and play an academy kid. This is an Arsenal boy since he was, you know, he was really small. He is doing... Um, what every one of us would love to do and that's come into the Arsenal team gain experience play really well and if it's not the position he necessarily wants to play in maybe he might find that this is the position that suits him or that this is where you know his future could lie I, you know we're, we're speculating but like he's only gone 18 in September it's mm. amazing how well he has come through this season amazing for him to be able to play with that kind of consistency and confidence and uh, reliability and intelligence at just barely 18 years of age, it's it's brilliant. I just don't see what the downside is, and I don't see what the downside is of keeping him in the team until the other two are, are fully fit, even if there are a couple of games or you know a couple of moments in games where that inexperience is, is exposed. Yeah, and I think there were a couple early on last night where Chelsea played a diagonal over the top of him. I remember one instance anyway where he was probably caught a little bit uh, in field. But, you know, that can happen with any defender and certainly with a young one who's kind of 
learning the position. But it's absolutely a gamble I'm willing to take in Saka's case because there's so much I like about him. And obviously what Martinelli's doing is exceptional. But I think when you look at Saka's age and the consistency and quality of performances he's producing, I think that's pretty remarkable too. Uh, Mm. He might not have the same, you know, sort of goals and assists tally, but... It's it's still a hell of a feat, and I, uh, I I'm delighted for him because he seems like a really nice kid. He seems really dedicated. He it was interesting hearing him talk about playing at left back, and there was no sense of well, it's not really where I want to play. You know, he's just delighted yeah. to be getting those minutes in the team. Of course, he is. He's 18 years old, playing Premier League football for Arsenal Football Club. Whether it's left back or left midfield, I don't think it's going to make the world of difference to him, to be honest with you. Mm. So look, uh, you know, individual positives, but also real collective positives for me. I, th- I, I think, you know, that this team we know has got some difficulties with, with winning games right now, mm. but there are things you can take from performances which will make that, if not easier, more likely. Uh, and I think last night was one of those games. I feel like, you know that group of players must know themselves that they've had similar situations or perhaps less taxing situations which have gone much much worse for them you know mm. in, in games so to go to chelsea it's always difficult in the first place if you came away with a 2-2 draw at chelsea with 11 versus 11 you wouldn't necessarily be unhappy you know with, with the result uh, you know if someone handed you that before the game you'd probably say okay that's not a bad result um, however the context of it but to do it with 10 men to twice come from behind um, to to react to a goal in the 84th minute, which could easily have killed uh, the confidence or the belief in the team and in the players, you know, to strike back within two or three minutes, you know, I think it really does speak to something that Arteta is doing with the mindset and the... Um, the determination and the willingness of this team not to give up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think they they just have a, a belief and a conviction that we've not seen for some time. And, you know, we, we talk about Uno Emery, but frankly, how many times in the latter years of Arsene Wenger's reign did we see teams go to places like Stamford Bridge and, and fold in adversity? And, yeah, they dug in last night they kind of dug Mm. their heels in and and refused to be beaten and it was not a perfect performance you know we've got a long way to go but we're all encouraged by the signs that we see and I just have the really strong sense that this group of players are responding to this manager and that he's telling them things they're hearing things they're learning things Mm. and that they believe that he can make them better. That, that's exactly it, isn't it? That's exactly yeah. it. They're absolutely buying into what it is that he's asking of them because you can't mm. get that. You can't get what you got last night from players who don't believe. And there's more to it than just believing, of course. You know, people believe in all kinds of shit, which isn't true. Um, but, you know, there's obviously um, an intelligence, uh, you know, a measure of clarity in terms of instruction and what it is that Arteta is asking them to do that they believe is now within their capabilities, which they didn't seem to to have before. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And I feel like they believe he can improve them collectively and as individuals. And it's interesting because credibility was one of the 
big questions over Arteta. You know, a guy walks into a group of players who's never really managed a club. Sounds like the start of a joke, actually. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Are they going to buy that? But um, they have, and I think there are lots of reasons. I think the fact these come from cities come with this sort of commendation from Guardiola, I think probably does do a huge amount of credit. But crucially, what he's gone in there and what he's said has you know, landed with them and they Mm. have taken it on board. And you can see that from here, you know, the results might not be what we want, but the, your eyes tell you the truth, you know, and and your eyes tell you this team is, is improving. It sure is. A guy walks into a group of players, Mustafi slide tackles him. Yeah. (laughs) A guy walks into a group of players and one says, why the long face? And the other one says, get out of here, Rude Van Nistelrooy, you horse face prick no Very nice. okay sorry um i know you have to go and um do other things um mm-hmm. you've got to go do your other podcast <laughs> and then we'll go to couples counseling yeah yeah on. yeah it'll all to be very good it. well look uh, you know thank you for being here as ever uh, thank you to everybody uh, for listening hope you enjoyed the show we will have an arse cast on friday as well so maybe a bit more fallout from this uh, a bit more to to unpack from from last night's game and uh, we'll look ahead of course to the bournemouth game in the fa cup on uh, monday. monday so it's until monday then night. Oh, yeah. Monday night. Hang on. Monday night, FA Cup. (laughs) Are we at home or not? We're away. Uh, It's in Bournemouth. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Bournemouth themselves, they did win last night, but they're in a real relegation scrap, so I hope slash think they won't be taking it particularly seriously hope not hope not and hopefully we we can oh turn that off we can make some a little uh, bit of robot a little bit of robot or a lot of robot um yeah we can we can uh hopefully make progress into the next round of the fa cup so until oh it'll be tuesday then won't it when we're doing an arsecast extra because it's uh it's a monday night game so until then folks take it easy cheers bye-bye This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.